good news goes to Galatia. The Apostle Paul went during his first missionary journey to the area of Galatia and preached the gospel to them. That good news we have studied for the past three months. We studied about how that good news made such a wonderful impact on those brethren who dwelt in that area. This morning, as the last of that series of lessons, we're going to talk about the good news and the true Israel of God. To begin with, I want to start by making a point that I suppose that everyone wants to feel special. You want to feel as if somehow people appreciate you, they appreciate what you stand for, they appreciate where you come from and your very person. In our own families, we know that there are some people that we tend to say they are special They're valuable, they're needed, they function in our family in a very important way. When you think about Israel, they were special. In fact, God inspired Moses to tell the children of Israel how special they were. As they were on the plains of Moab, ready to cross over into the promised land, crossing the Jordan River, Moses gave that new generation of people a message from God in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6 as well as chapter 14 and verse 2, exactly the same words. He said, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God and he has chosen, Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And you think about that. God chose you to be special. You're something unique. You're something different. You hold a special place in God's heart. In fact, they were called by God's name. When we go to the New Testament... In Acts 11 and verse 26, Acts 26 and verse 28, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we read the name Christian. The name Christian is connected to Christ, to followers of Christ. When we call ourselves Christians, we honor Christ. Israel in the Old Testament was called by God's name. The name is Rael. The E-L on that indicates a people of God. In 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. My people who are called by my name. You see, the children of Israel, going all the way back to Abraham, were a special people. 
the specialness that God gave them was that they were going to bring the Savior into the world. Do you remember that God spoke to Abraham and said, In your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We've already studied in Galatians chapter 3 verse 15. That seed was Christ. They're special because they're bringing the Savior into the world. But there's some great news. And the great news is is that Gentiles can now be a part of this special people. You have to really put yourself in Antioch in Acts 13 and see verses 44 and 45 as Paul has gathered together these people at the synagogue and it says they come, almost the whole city had come together to hear the word of the Lord. The mass of that number were Gentiles. Can they be special too? Are they valuable too? Does God treasure these people? Well, He certainly does. And that's what we're going to study in the last half of Galatians chapter 6. There are three things that Paul is going to try to make a point of. Three things that he wants us to observe. The first one is circumcision was that old sign. For God's special people, you knew them by the sign of circumcision. The new sign is a new creation or conversion. And then the cross now becomes the banner under which God's people will be known. Let's look first of all at verse 13. Notice, if you will, some of the things that Paul says here. For not even those who were circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you they may boast in your flesh. You've got to go back and look at what was happening in this occasion to appreciate what's going on. He said, these people here desire to have you, you Gentiles, circumcised. Now, when you think about that, you start appreciating the fact that God had given this as a sign of His covenant with Abraham. Through this special people, through the descendants of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What would you know these people by? What would be a physical outward sign that people could say, yes, that's them? Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male who is among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then he goes on to say that if you don't practice that, he said you're going to be cut off because you violated the covenant. That was the physical sign that they carried with them. You may understand that when you get to Acts 15, that right after all those people were converted in Galatia, there's some people saying, we've got to fix a problem now. The problem was these people had not been circumcised. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
When you hear those words, you recognize they consider this something so important that if you don't do it, you can't be saved. You can't go to heaven. Verse 5, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. You see, in their eyes, the specialness... They were unique as God's people and they felt that that was the only sign under which you could be saved. There had even been what you might suppose a precedent for that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 34, there was a very sad event occurred. One of the children of Jacob with his wife Leah, was a girl by the name of Dinah. Dinah grew up and she was evidently very beautiful to behold. And one of the sons of Hamor by the name of Shechem saw her and just was smitten with her beauty. He humbled her. And when that took place, he went to his father and he says, I want you to get that woman for me for a wife. Hamor goes to... Jacob and his sons and begs for the daughter to be the wife of Shechem. The response from the brothers was, the only way that will happen is if you are circumcised. Notice with me verses 14 through 17. And they said, we cannot do this thing to give our sister one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, and then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will be, dwell with you, and we will come as one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. Of course, you know what followed from that. The slaughter of the men of Shechem because of what had happened when they humiliated Dinah. But you see, the children of Israel would look back and say, if you want to become a part of us, this is what you must do. Now the question arises, is that what God said? Did God say, this is what you must do throughout your generations for anybody to be my special people? Well, let's look and see. Conversion now is the new sign. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. A new creation. That old sign is just that. It's old. It is now no longer binding. Paul was clear. Circumcision was no longer a sign of God's people. In fact, I'm going to take you through just a short journey of some passages which will illustrate that Paul taught that in numerous places. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 19. He said, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. 
It's not whether or not you are a circumcised, that is a Jew, or an uncircumcised Gentile. He says that doesn't matter at all. What matters is whether you keep God's laws. In Galatians 5, verse 6, remember we studied that a couple of weeks ago. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Paul wanted to make that point everywhere he went is that's not a matter of obligation before God. On the other hand, there's a sense in which this is still true because in a spiritual sense there was a circumcision. Let me give you a couple passages which illustrate this. In Jeremiah 4 and verse 4, He used this as an illustration and he said, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts. In other words, there needs to be a removal of your sins. It needs to be a change in your life. But Romans 2 verses 26 through 28 is really the the very plain passage. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And it will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh." He would go on to say that circumcision is that of the heart and not of the flesh. What Paul's point is simple is this. This was old, now there's something new. And it matters now whether or not you're keeping the laws of God. And thus the new sign is a new creation. What do you mean by a new creation? What is, what is the idea behind a person being a new creation? Let's look again at chapter 6, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. We're talking about a person who has a change in life. That change in life comes when you're no longer serving the devil, you're now serving the Lord. When that gospel, that good news, went to places like Antioch and went to Iconium and went to Lystra, and they preached that good news, people who had formerly been idolaters are now worshipers of God. They have once practiced the works of the flesh. Now they're exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. There's a real change in their life. Just like Paul when writing to the Corinthians said, Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a change in who you are and the way you live your life. If you're in Christ, you remember back Galatians chapter 3, verse 26? For all of you are sons through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you're Christ, you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now what that does do is that means now they are the true Israel of God. Because if you go back to those other passages like Romans chapter 2, he's not a Jew who's one outwardly, he's one inwardly. There's a change now. And the true Israel of God are those who are obedient to God. You say, well, is that really correct or not? Let's listen to Romans chapter 9 and verses 6 through 8. Paul's talking about the condition of the Jewish man who had rejected the law. And he says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Wow, what a profound statement. All these Jewish men, you could line them up and he says, not all of Israel are Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. And Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as seed. What he's looking and saying is the fact that you descended from a person who was a Jew does not make you a real Jew in God's eyes. You see, the true Israel of God are the people now who are a new creation. They've been converted. They're following Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. In the context, Paul is trying to say, you look at a Hebrew of Hebrews and he says, I don't put my confidence in the flesh. In fact, he goes on to say, I count them but refuge. I count them but dung. Because what's important It's not where you descended from, but the life that you now live. But again, there's always just one passage that you go to that really just spells it out so plainly. When Paul was writing the Christians who were scattered, he wrote them in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You Christians that I'm writing this letter to, you are God's special people. Folks, that's really good news. Now what that does mean now is now we have a different banner under which we mark. I like the song, there's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the cross. There's an ensign fair, we lift it up today. You see what he's talking about is just like an army would march out and they would have a banner, a flag if you will, that says this is... Whom we represent. There's a new banner. And that banner is the cross. 
Let's look at Galatians 5, verses 11 and 12. And brethren, if I still preached circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? The offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. If I still preach circumcision. Paul doesn't preach that anymore. Why doesn't he preach circumcision anymore? That's no longer the banner under which Christians live. He said, then the offense of the cross has ceased. That's what he does preach. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greek foolishness. Paul said, that's what I'm going to preach everywhere I go. I'm going to preach Christ crucified. He's been put on the cross. He's been put to death. Of course, there's a reason for that. The blood that he shed was to forgive the sins of man. For the Jews, the idea that someone would have to die, that they were going to be the leader was a stumbling block. It was an offense to them. To the Greeks, they looked at it as foolishness. But he says, to us, it's the power of God. The crucifixion of Christ replicates the work of Christ. For just a few minutes, I want to go through a few of these passages here. I want us to see what we mean when we start talking about the cross. In Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul says, I've been crucified, that old man has been done away. Now it is a new creature, new creation who's living, a different man. What kind of man is he? He's one who, whatever Jesus wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Chapter 5, verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In that context, he's saying, when you became a Christian, all those sinful things, he said, you don't do them anymore. You recognize them because they're marching under the banner of the cross. When Jesus himself taught in Luke 9, verse 23, Luke 14, verse 27, He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 27 of chapter 14, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is the banner. It's the sign. It's what you and I, when we're converted, we recognize. I now serve a risen Savior. Because of the cross. But there's that one passage again that just really brings it all on. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... 
Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Do you know when all this takes place? When you now are marching under the banner of the cross, when you are now bearing the sign that you are God's special people, that takes place when you are buried with Him in baptism. When you become a New Testament Christian, when you become a child of God. That's when it's really now good news that you can be saved from your sin. You can be special to God. Many of you are special to God. You are His children. For those of you who are not, in order to do so, you must surrender your life and become a new creation You come because of your faith in Jesus Christ that He is the Son of God, just like those people in Galatia did, and say, I believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You repent of your sins. You turn your back on all those works of the flesh. Then you are buried with Him in baptism. And you are now a new creation. Listen again to Galatians 6 and verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Are you a part of the Israel of God? We're going to sing number 768, While We Pray and While We Plead. And if you need to become a Christian this morning, everything is ready for your obedience. We're ready on this side. We're ready with a baptistry that's filled, the water's warm. It's just a matter of your making a choice. If you're a Christian and sin is in your life, We love you. God most certainly loves you. Why not come as together we stand and sing?